As the measures to contain coronavirus take hold, many people around the world have had the most significant milestones of their lives dramatically altered by the restrictions in place. You're listening to Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, Willie Lowry, and on this week's edition, we look at how birth, marriage, and death have been affected in the time of coronavirus. Navigating childbirth can be terrifying regardless of the circumstances. With increasingly rigid restrictions around hospitals, along with the threat of the disease, the prospect of bringing a baby into the world can be nerve-wracking. It's something my family knows a little about. My sister Alexis was due to give birth at the end of March, and I had been excited to fly home to New York to meet my first nephew. But as cases in New York kept rising, making it the center of the pandemic in the U.S., I knew that wasn't going to happen. So even before our due date, the week before, we went to the doctor and the midwife um, that we were seeing, you know, began to start asking us about, you know, how long we really wanted to let the pregnancy go, because normally they'll let you go about 10 days after your due date. And they basically started planting a seed that we might want to consider induction because already in New York City, partners were being barred from going to the hospital with uh, delivering mothers. Hours after Alexis went into the hospital, Vassar Brothers Medical Center stopped letting partners in. After we were admitted to the hospital, when they told us that because there could be potential positives on the delivery floor because other women were coming in, obviously... We weren't allowed to leave our hospital room. Um, And that's when I started to get nervous about just how tantalizingly close the virus could get to us. Um, And, you know, how sort of fragile my immune system was and Louie's immune system could be. And, you know, I didn't want Alex to get sick either. So it just, that's really when it hit me. And then once we had the baby, I was, of course, terrified of like everything. I was induced. It took a really long time. And I spiked a fever um, in the middle of labor, which is not that uncommon. Um, But, you know, I had a high fever and um, Louis came out um, and maybe he was felt a little rushed. He maybe wasn't ready to start life quite when we had uh, invited him to. Um, So he was taken off to the NICU um, to be cared for. You know, he needed oxygens and things like that. And I was not allowed to go see him because of the fever of course, because there were concerns that the fever could have been coronavirus. It was terrible. And I, you know, in tears, yelled at the NICU nurse and I yelled at the maternity nurse. And then I had to apologize to everybody because, of course, they were just doing their jobs and trying to keep everyone safe as they should have been. But you're so filled with, you know, emotions and raging hormones that are changing left, right and center because you've just delivered a baby. And all you want to do is go see and hold your child. Um, and yeah, it was, it was terrible. But in the grand scheme of things, it seems like a blip at the time. And now it's, you know, it, it recedes really quickly once you, once you actually get them in your arms. After five days in one hospital room, going for daily visits to see Louie in the NICU, they were allowed to go home. But the self-isolation restrictions means life is still on hold. Our 96-year-old grandmother has only met Louie virtually. That, I think, is one of the hardest things for me. My grandmother is 96. She's been looking forward to this uh, baby for um, 
I'm 35, so for 35 years. Uh, um, and uh, she can't meet him, and um, it, we don't really know how long she's going to have to go that way. So we FaceTime with her all the time because she is amazingly um, capable uh, with technology. Um, but it's not quite the same thing as her being able to hold him um, and, you know, smell him and things like that because babies smell delicious. Um, so, you know, we have a plan that as soon as the weather warms up a little bit, we're going to drive up to her house, which is about two hours away, and just hold him outside the window so she can at least see him in the flesh somehow. So many of us are missing these exceptional moments. For Isabel Mengel and Rizwan Yassin, Easter weekend was booked for a wedding reception hosting 500 people. The couple met online in May 2019. We met for the first time and it just clicked. We really liked each other. We started seeing each other a lot. And before we know it, my now fiancé, he just proposed to me. And he, because in our tradition, it's they have to ask for your hand in marriage from your parents. And my parents are all based in Pakistan. So he flew all the way to Pakistan after 26 years he hadn't been. He is originally from Pakistan as well, but it's not that he used to visit often, so it was a, just another flight for him. So after 26 years, he flew to Pakistan just to ask for my hand in marriage from my dad. That was in October. And everything went well, and we just wanted to get married as soon as possible, just not waste any more time. And, yeah, we decided on getting married this Easter because everybody was off. We could celebrate. It was a good thing, good event to look forward to, I'd say. But unfortunately, because of the COVID-19, things didn't really pan out the way it should have. My mom flew over here to, from Pakistan. Mom came because she had my wedding dress and she wanted it to be delivered as soon as possible. And one week after mom was here, there was a lockdown. And my cousins from America, they also canceled their flights. Yeah, nobody else could come. We had planned our honeymoon this week, actually. We were meant to be in Barcelona for a week. And now we don't know when will we get married. It's hard. It's really hard because you look forward to starting union life and everything's on hold now. And you don't know when this is going to end because when you plan for something, you really look forward to it. And that's what you think of all day long. I do feel really sad. While birth and marriage are milestones of our existence, so too is death. He had a really sharp, dry sense of humor. You couldn't even tell he was joking most of the time. So he would you know, either have you in stitches uh, laughing or uh, in complete fear because you thought he was being serious about you know, firing you or <laughs> whatever it was he was joking about. Um, yeah, no, he was, uh, he was an excellent role model. Uh, you know, I, I admire my father uh, and I, I love him and... Uh, throughout my life, he's always shown us through his example the right path. That was Peter Whelan. He lost his 85-year-old father, Kenneth, to COVID-19 on April 4th. Kenneth had recently been moved to a nursing home in Montreal. Seniors' homes have been hotbeds of infection, 
And in Quebec, the government is severely restricting the number of people allowed in and out. In that nursing home, they'd already started the quarantine, so we lost complete contact with them. There was no phone in his room. Technicians weren't allowed into the building. Uh, by the time we were finally able to get a phone into him, uh, that was the day we were told he was dying. Well, when I arrived, it was like 7 o'clock at night. Uh, all of the residents are confined to the rooms. Uh, some of them with the doors open, some of them closed. Um, so uh, there wasn't a lot of activity going on. Uh, there wasn't a lot of staff. Uh, and it was a pretty depressing environment to be in. Before we went into my father's room, like as soon as we got on the floor, uh, we were given uh, masks and uh, gloves and uh, we were given a gown. So when we went in, my father was on oxygen and lying in his bed and, uh, and uh, he wasn't able to talk, unfortunately, but uh, I was just glad to be able to have the opportunity to talk to him. I, I thought I could tell from the, the way his eyes moved around when I was talking that he understood what we were saying or what I was saying. Um, and uh, gave me an opportunity to say things that, you know, I'd always been afraid of all my life that I would not get around to telling my dad how much I respected him and admired him. So just to have that opportunity, I was very grateful for that. That was the most important moment in my life, I think, in a lot of ways. Uh, I think it's, I think a lot of people feel the same way. It's, uh, you want to say goodbye. You don't want to regret having left things unsaid. You, uh, and you don't want your, your father or your mother to die alone. It's a horrifying thought. And in, in this crisis, as they isolate all these senior homes, a lot of people are dying alone. And that's the saddest thing of all, especially, you know, if they have problems with dementia or anything else. They, they often don't even understand why their families have deserted them, because that's what they're thinking. You know, like, why have my why is my family not visited me in two weeks? read a story, a witness from uh, someone who was working in, in a, in a long-term care home uh, during the time my father was there, and she was actually working in the same home, and she was describing people who were begging her to let them die, either because they were so lo- <sighs> because they were so lonely and, and and hurting and afraid. Peter and his siblings are currently in self-isolation and have chosen to wait until it's safe to hold a funeral. Yeah, well, everyone has to postpone it, basically. I mean, they have some, they have some small exceptions. Um, my father was, was cremated as soon as he was, uh, he was, he was brought to the funeral home. Uh, he's, his urn has been placed in the, the niche that... Uh, my father's been... He's an engineer, so he's been planning his own death for 15 years. Uh, so... Um, so uh, he just didn't plan for the pandemic. He's not that good an engineer. Um, you know, I keep telling people, you know, there's no expiry date on mourning. Uh, if we have a, a memorial for him uh, a month from now or six months from now, it's not going to make any difference. My father, if he was alive, would say, uh, don't put anyone else at risk in order to celebrate my life. That would be the worst thing you could do. So. Um, when it's possible to have public gatherings, because that's the important thing. That's the you know to, to share the emotions with other with the, the other people who love my father, and to be able to hug them and cry with them, and celebrate his life in a human in a human way with human contact. That's what's important. But not everybody wants to wait. Joe Bennington is a celebrant based in London. Since social distancing norms have been put in place. She's helped families say goodbye to their loved ones virtually. My key thing that I want to do, and many of um, the other 
celebrates are trying to do is trying to say to people, please, there are ways and means of saying goodbye and everybody needs a special moment and time in which the life of somebody can be celebrated and you get an opportunity to say goodbye properly. Saying that you're going to do a memorial months later is great, but it's a long time to be grieving without having physically had the opportunity to start that process. The first virtual service Joe did was for another Joe, 92-year-old Joe Priestley. Her daughters couldn't attend the funeral and desperately wanted to honor her in some way. The result, they said, was a surprisingly touching virtual service that allowed more family members to tune in than likely would have been able to attend. It was very strange on the day. Um, obviously, we had the link. We knew what time we, we could join. And certainly, my husband and I dressed as if we would have been at the funeral. And um, I know my sister and her husband and her son did exactly the same. And we didn't, work, no, we didn't know what to expect. We clicked on, and it was absolutely amazing. Um, it was very, very beautiful. Joe was fabulous. She, I mean, she was standing there really on her own, um, directed the entire service as it would have been to the camera. Um, we could, obviously could, could see the casket and we saw the pallbearers take my mum in. We had some beautiful music. Obviously, Joe spoke. She um, delivered the eulogy that we had written. And it was absolutely beautiful. Other people that um, had joined friends and family also said exactly the same. They were so pleased they could join um, and they all agreed that it was very, very dignified and very beautiful. That was Caroline Priestley describing her mother's virtual funeral. You've been listening to Beyond the Headlines. I've been your host, Willie Lowry. We were produced this week by Asha Khan, Arthur Edison and Taylor Heyman. Special thanks to our guests for sharing their powerful stories with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. Stay home and stay safe.